Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And we're off to a very, very bad start this week because Finney's already grumpy. Finney, I thought we agreed quarter past ten, mate. To be honest, there's so much crap that gets sent on that WhatsApp group that I've muted it and I just pick up the last couple of messages. So when Sal sent the Zoom link at 9.58 this evening, I just tapped on it and came online. And, and me and Sal had a really intellectual, nice pleasant intelligent conversation before you turned up and Norcross who's not even here yet because unsurprisingly it's even more of a rabble than it usually is so yeah I mean even though I was dragged onto this podcast 15 minutes sooner it meant that I've had a proper conversation which doesn't usually happen so yeah mixed emotions over here but now grumpy because I've got to sit and look and listen to you. Well just when you thought things couldn't get any worse I can see Daniel Norcross joining the zoom call oh where is he now it's pitch black i briefly saw his sad sad eyes looking at me through the darkness and then it's gone pitch i didn't, black i just saw a double chin <laughs> it's got darker where are you norcross uh, i'm on the top of a hill i'll be very dark look where am i can you see that oh it looks yeah. beautiful it's absolutely fucking gorgeous. It's stunning. I mean, where I am, it's a place of absolute wonder. I'm on the top of a hill in Tuscany. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, Jesus Christ. I've eaten so much fucking food. This is an absolute oh. shambles, even by our standards. Finney turned up 15 minutes early, and you're walking around a hill in Tuscany, which unsurprisingly I means the signal's a bit iffy, Norcross. Who's that behind you? Freddy Krueger. It's, it's quite a spooky kind of place. I mean, it's not somewhere that you come to be relaxed. It's terrifying. There's wild boar everywhere. Wild boar. Um, there's uh, uh, adders. We were told to look out for adders, scorpions, poisonous millipedes. There's another animal that kills as well, but I've forgotten what it is now, which is a bit of a problem. Not tigers. No, well, make sure you're really careful, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Finney. It's very yeah. kind of you. Now, Norcross, how much wine have you drunk for, before we... Actually... Not as much as I might have done. Probably a bottle of red, half bottle of white, and a dessert wine. Oh, and I had a couple of gins with lemon at about 5.30. So it's, uh, it's a bit, a bit pretty modest, really, because let's face it, what time is it where I am now? Half 11 or something. 25 past? So I'm, I'm okay, really. I'm sort of basically 
I'm like I'm like a car that is just turning over a set of traffic lights at the moment. I'm all right. How are you? What? <laughs> <laughs> so quite pissed, in other words. <laughs> good, good. I like the fact that you've had a bottle of red, half a bottle of white. You you drink wine like it's a Neapolitan ice cream, and you just have one of every colour. Well, I start with white, don't I? Because it's a breakfast drink, so, so well, not breakfast literally, but you know, I start with a G and T. Although they don't have tea where I am at the moment, in other words, tonic. So I've got this um, quite an interesting bit of lemon. I haven't had gin and bit of lemon for a while. So I've gin and bit of lemon from about five. After having had a, a, a plunge in the sub-zero pool, because it's you know really good for you apparently, and, uh, and then I walk up and down a hill from between seven and ten miles. Um, and then I have my gin and a bit of lemon. And then I have a couple of glasses of white wine. Then we walk into town. Oh, thank you, Caroline. Oh, I've got three drinks. Oh, that's marvellous. So people, two people have brought me drinks. And I think I've got another one coming. This is superb. Um, and so it's because it's our friend's birthday, his 50th birthday, we've been up in town. And I had a really uh, delicious combination of foodstuffs today including fillet of veal with truffle. And there's a splendid 2017 red that we had with that. Uh, And then I had a sauterne, obviously, to finish. And I had something for the start, but it's quite a long time ago now. I reckon if Finney and I didn't say anything now for the next 40 minutes, you'd still be going. That's what professional broadcasting is all about, Toby. You, you, we've, we've just Have filled, you ever seen a rain break? We've just filled five minutes of a cricket podcast of you talking us to the we're second already, through your diet. Yeah, we're recording. Oh. You joined Hello. us mid-conversation. Zero ducks given. <laughs> <laughs> now, Norcross, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay on your hill with your free drinks and join in the conversation? I'll stay here. I, I've sent everybody, well, I've sent them in. It's fucking freezing on the top of a mountain. Well, mountain, hill. But it's, it's like Italy. Everyone goes, oh, Italy, isn't that going to be warm? It, strangely enough, it has similar seasons to us. So it's cold right now. And I'm cold. I'm wearing four layers and a okay. hat. Well, we won't Probably keep you for too see. long because obviously a man of your age can't afford to be out in the cold for too long. You could, this could be The Shining by the end of it. It could be like in The Shining. You, <laughs> you'll look like the girl from Blair Witch Project. We'll just see bogey yeah. falling out of your nose. That's right. There's a very distinct, or I could be taken by wild boar because uh, where we are, there's so many wild boar, there's electrified fences everywhere, and these gates. I've had to honestly, it's a one and a half kilometer walk from the edge of the house we're in to the nearest road. Yes, it's it's like it's that weird. It's that weird. If you do get killed by a wild boar live on Zoom, I have to say it will easily be the best thing that's ever happened on this podcast. How um how heavy was the KY jelly that you had to um that you had to transport on that kilometre and a half walk? That, well, yes, you're absolutely right. I, I do use lubricants when going uphill. I apply it all in advance, so uh, I don't carry it with me, Finny. I I trust because going downhill you don't really need it. I mean, downhill is the energy saving <laughs> walk where you just bend down and your legs just take you to where you need to be. Did you know, I've, I ran the London Marathon and genuinely the first thing you do in the morning, because I had a lady who'd run loads of marathon, give me loads of advice. Um, I yeah. lathered my nipples and testicles <laughs> in Vaseline. It was the first thing I did in the morning. <laughs> of course you did. Did it work? Uh, what, do you, have a, you had one of those lip 
those little lip pots, didn't you, for your balls? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I not did. The, not I the did. big pot. No, I didn't need. I didn't need too hefty, no. hefty an amount. Yeah, it's the, it was the only time in my life I've ever vaseline my testicles, and it's quite uncomfortable because then once you start <laughs> really? running, you're grateful for it. But there's but between waking up about eight o'clock in the morning, commuting to the start line, schmoozing around for about an hour before it starts, and then actually running, there's about a good three hours of just walking around London with Vaseline testicles before the run. Couldn't you have, um, couldn't you have just done it at the start line? Yeah, but where's the fun in that? <laughs> that <laughs> would look quite I'd weird. Forgot, though, I'd forgotten it? I was running the marathon. That's how I just. That's how I start every day. I went, oh yeah, the race. <laughs> race in inverted commas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's the be- that's the best bit. It was the best bit of the whole day. To be honest with you, it was all downhill after that. Well. Well, know. sadly not. Yeah, I mean, mostly right. on the flat. Here, it's all bloody uphill. I went. I went up to see the desiccated remains of Saint Margaret today, and uh, it it says it, it is uh, Saint Margaret is venerated as a saint in these parts because she remarkably hadn't particularly putrefied four hundred years after her death. Right. So we went to see this woman to see what it looked like. Somebody who hadn't particularly putrefied four hundred years after their death. And fuck me if she had really actually badly putrefied 400 years after her death. They put her in a glass case and you're supposed to go and look at her and it's absolutely morbid. I do not recommend it. Do not look at an 800-year-old woman. Don't do it. Well, all man, for that matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. The gender is neither here or there. But trust me, 800-year-old corpses do not look great. I'm trying to find a picture of St. Margaret's corpse what should i type in i've typed in saint margaret uh, Tuscany. Put, put in cortona saint margaret okay. uh, santa maria cortona. something or other you know right. put in some italian words um, no, I, I saw Bellissimo. a mummified monk when i was in thailand like he's just in a glass case and he looks exactly he looks alive he's just a bit gray but he's been dead for oh, like well, 50 years santa margarita does not look she does not look alive <laughs> oh oh i'm looking at her now Oh, she looks fucking awful. Yeah, she really does. She yeah. looks like she's been dead today. every single second of eight hundred years. She really does, doesn't she? Tiny, tiny toes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, producer Sal's just messaged us on WhatsApp saying, "Any chance of talking cricket?" Yeah, we probably should at some point, I suppose. <laughs> uh, right now, it has actually been a massive week in the world of cricket, although you wouldn't guess it from the start of the podcast so far, as we were probably expecting. Ben Stokes has been officially named as the England Test captain. Now, Rob Key said that he's the best man for the job. And he said he wasn't just picking him because he was the only man for the job and that he would have picked him anyway. Rob Key, probably, to be fair, kind of has to say that. But Finney, as somebody who, who knows Ben Stokes, the man, the cricketer, what sort of character is he? What sort of captain do you expect him to be? I expect him to be a lead from the front captain and to always be pushing his team forward to try and win in games because that's the way that he plays the game in the first place. Drawing or losing is never really on his mind. He just wants to win games. So I think we're um, we're going to see some enterprising um, and entertaining cricket, you'd have thought. Um, I'd imagine he's going to be quite strong about who he wants in that dressing room in terms of personnel. I think already he said he wants Broaden Anderson back was one of the first things that he said to Rob Key and Rob Key agreed with him. So 
yeah, I think he'll have a very firm idea in his mind about the direction that he wants to go and the, the direction that he wants to take the team and the benefit of having someone who's larger than life, such as Ben Stokes is. Um, I think that that means that he'll be living and breathing that right from the very front. I mean, we all love him as England cricket fans. I think the whole cricketing world loves Ben Stokes and he's on his day an absolute joy to watch. Is there an element now, we look at how well Joe Root has batted since becoming captain and especially over the last couple of years. Is there a time now with Ben Stokes as captain, does he need to take a bit more ownership of his, maybe he's brilliant when the chips are down, but does he need to be a bit more consistent? I'll look at his talent. He's got a batting average of under just under 36. And do you think it's time that Ben Stokes really a bit a la Joe Root as a captain starts putting his hand up a bit more often with the bat? Well, I suppose it depends what number he bats, whether he decides that he wants to bat in the top five or he wants to bat at six and be more of a an all-rounder type as opposed to a batter who um, who bowls every now and again. And I suppose fitness will determine what, what position he fits into. But I'd imagine those numbers, or I do believe that those numbers are slightly skewed by the fact that he was messed around for his first 10, 15, 20 test matches where where he he batted at number eight. He, he even batted at nine, I think, in a few tests and played as a specialist bowler. And I also think that, that those numbers are, are probably the way that he plays his cricket. He's probably gifted his wicket away a few times trying to move the game forward. And I think that one thing that you will get from Ben Stokes as a leader is that he'll play the situation and he won't be selfish. So um, statistically, I don't think it matters too much what the captain average is, but if he's leading from the front all the time and, and with that same attitude, I think that that can drag the rest of the team's performance up with you, which is the true strength of a leader rather than just thinking about yourself. You don't need to, you don't need to, you don't need to worry about Ben Stokes' numbers. I mean, in terms of the great all-rounders that England's ever had, he's got, he bears comparison with both of them. He's got better batting average. Uh, he hasn't taken as many wickets. His career's gone on a slightly different trajectory, but what, what wickets he does take, he takes a not massively dissimilar average. The impact that he makes in matches, the quality of Ben Stokes is not in any doubt. He's a once-in-a-generation cricketer and he's absolutely extraordinary. It is the source, though, of concern that people have because people, understandably, have a kind of... They feel a duty of care to Ben Stokes because he has a... He feels like he has a fragility to him because he has to do everything and everyone hangs their hopes on him so much to get England out of impossible scrapes. You know, the legend of Headingley the World Cup final, many other performances of a similar type, they're, they're all part of what makes Ben Stokes the impact cricketer that he is. And so people go, well, if you make him captain, is that going to affect his ability to do all those things? And what happens when you get a new captain of England is that we're all doing that. We're all projecting our thoughts onto it. And what I find fascinating is that before he was named captain, everyone was really worried about what would happen to Ben Stokes, the cricketer, if we made him captain. And since he's been captain, brilliantly introduced by Rob Key, who, who's a breath of fresh air in the way he talks to the media, suddenly everyone's thinking, oh, God, this is inspirational. He could be the perfect man for the job. Now, actually, the reality of top-level sport is that I imagine it will be not entirely down to Ben Stokes, how well England do. It will be down to the quality of the players around him and how well they're performing. So, you know, let's take a deep breath. He's got to play against New Zealand, who are the world champions. He's got one test against India, who are very, very good. And then a resurgent South Africa that are sort of getting their shit together in test cricket. 
So it's going to be quite the introduction to Test cricket, and it's going to depend on whoever is selected around him, which is why he's after Broad and Anderson back, isn't it? Because this is a really, really tough summer, and he recognises that he's going to need the best players around him. It's interesting that when he was captain of England for a Test match during the COVID series, uh, it was the Rose Bowl game, wasn't it, when Joe Root had paternity leave. Uh, that was a game Stuart Broad was left out of. And then he, he went to the media and expressed his discontent over that. So uh, there are some interesting sort of little games we played in there. But ultimately, what it will come down to is he's got a really, really tough summer. And getting the best out of whatever England have got to throw at that summer is going to be a tough, tough ask. But is there anybody better for it? No, no, no choice seemed perfect. And actually, I think Rob Key's talked a good game. I think he, I, I, I'm on board. Go for it. Yeah, Rob Key's been very impressive in handling the media over the last few weeks. And it'll be, Ben Stokes, maybe not quite as you know natural in front of the camera, maybe as, as Joe Root. And obviously, that's a massive, massive factor of the England captaincy. And I don't think maybe a factor of it that Ben Stokes is particularly looking forward to. I'm sure he'd much rather just get out there and play. But Rob Key's been a brilliant mouthpiece for England cricket over the last couple of weeks, I think. Um, on the personnel, I saw Jimmy Anderson say that he's desperate to be a part of Ben Stokes' England, and it sounds like Ben Stokes obviously wants Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad recalled to the side immediately. Do England need to stop overthinking Test cricket a little bit, Finney? And Jimmy Anderson said, England just needs to get back to winning Test matches. We went to this Chance to Shine charity event a couple of weeks ago. In fact, we're going to play out some audio from that at the end of this podcast. And uh, one of the guys from the Murley End podcast we were chatting to later on said he thinks English cricket's biggest problem is the Ashes and our obsession with the Ashes and our obsession with planning for Ashes series and what we're going to do next time we're in Australia. And sometimes we overthink and we get in our own heads a little bit. Do you think England just needs to, certainly for this summer, just pick its best eleven? that they think is going to score runs and take wickets and just try and win some test matches, Philly? Yeah, well, I think we've been saying that for quite a while now. I think resting and, and building up players and giving them experience at certain times. I think if you're in a settled team, then you can afford to do that. But if you're in an unsettled team that where there's a turnover of players and you've not got a settled 1-11 to 11 or even really a style of playing because... Um, the, the great teams that I played in or the, or the great team that I played in played six batters, a wicketkeeper and four bowlers. And that was it because we weren't blessed with a Ben Stokes style all round to be able to, be able to balance that. But, but that was our, our format. And it meant that if you wanted to bring someone in in one of those positions, then you could bring them in and give them experience. A la Joe Root at number six, Johnny Bairstow batted at number six. It's an easier path in to the team to be able to give those kinds of guys experience at the time. But certainly now where England don't really know their best 11, they should just pick the team that given the conditions that are in front of them are the best team to win that test match in their opinion and stop overthinking it. And I think that with Rob Key and Ben Stokes at the helm, I'd imagine that that will happen. This has been going on for 69 years. England went to the West Indies in 1953-4 for an incredible tour, one of the most incredible tours in England been, or one of the most controversial. Uh, it's up there with Bodyline, and a brilliant book has been written about it, those who only cricket know. And what they were doing when they picked that side was they thought about the Ashes the following year. They, they left out Alec Bedser so that he didn't play too much cricket a year out. English cricket has been doing this madness for 100 years. I mean, Douglas Jardine 
was selected to win the Ashes with a particular plan, which was to kind of destroy relations between England and Australia, whatever it took. So, you know, we've got to stop with this obsession. It's utterly ludicrous. We play test cricket like all the time. We play Australia once every four years. We play every other country the rest of the time. Let's just win games of cricket. This is a test playing country. Like our fans flock to test cricket like in no other country. We sell out test matches the whole time. Don't disrespect the fans and don't disrespect the game by farting on about how you're going to win in four years' time in completely different conditions. Just put out the best team and win the bloody game. Funnily enough, that somebody made that exact point to me today. I was at a Lord's Taverners charity event and I was chatting to uh, Lloyd Scott, who you know. And uh, he, he was saying to me, he was asking about how the trip to Barbados was. And I said, you know, it was great. And he said to me, did you not feel a little bit short-changed when you had already paid very, a lot of money for your flights and your accommodation and your tickets and you got out there and saw a bowling attack of Overton, Wokes and Fisher? Now, the pitch didn't help, but I said, yes. I said, I was looking forward to seeing Anderson and Broad Bowl. I don't have many years left of watching those two in an England shirt. And I did feel a bit short-changed. So I do think you're, you're absolutely correct on that front. It's interesting as well because Australia don't seem to obsess over the ashes as much as us and seem to be much better for it as well. I think of Chris Rogers, who came in age 36. Uh, Mike Hussey was a late call-up to the Australia team. We look at uh, Scott Bolland in the most recent Ashes series. They just go, this bloke's probably playing the best cricket at the moment in the country. He's probably one of the best 11 cricketers in our country. And and they put out a team accordingly. Finney, did you feel when you were in England setups that they were they had one eye on the future or was that team just so bloody good it almost picked itself? I think there is always half an eye on the future, isn't there? Because you're looking for the next person to take the team forward. If a team ever stands still and doesn't look to the future in some degree, then then you do just end up collapsing and falling in a heap. So like what I mentioned before, when Joe Root got brought into the team to bat at number six in that India series in 2012, it was a progressive way of getting someone like that exposed to those conditions early in his career so that the next time he goes there, he can lead the line um, and that's very much the way that, that he's gone about and done it around the world but yeah I, I do think that the importance of just focusing on the next game is so vitally important and I think that we did do it then all we wanted to do was win games of cricket in that team that got to number one in the world in 2011 and and yeah all we thought about was winning the next game of cricket and how we were going to do that and if a ruthless call had to be made I, me in the 2010-11 Ashes had 14 wickets in three games and I got dropped for Tim Bresden because he was going to keep the runs tighter and he got four wickets in, in the first innings, I think, at the MCG in the next game. So, yeah, just thinking about what is happening next is such an important virtue in sport, full stop, I think, that you shouldn't lose sight of. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the batting's going to be the trouble because Ben Stokes can't suddenly turn England's top order into world beaters. But I think if he gets Anderson Broad and a fit again, Ollie Robinson out there as much as he can this summer, that's a that's a very good bowling attack, especially in English conditions. So obviously every England fan is wishing the best of Ben Stokes. And we all bloody love the bloke as well. We want him to succeed. We want him to do well. Uh, let's move on from that. I'm sure we'll talk about that loads in the next few weeks. But uh, the county game, it was a bit drab. There was a lot of rain around. There were some horrendously flat pitches. I mean, Finney, you whinged a bit about the Derbyshire game, but at least you didn't play in that Gloucestershire-Surrey game. Surrey 603 all out. Gloucestershire 443 for two. Chris Dent 207 not out. However, 
talk about missing the boat. James Bracey, who we praised on this podcast a few weeks ago, he got a duck in a scorecard of 443 for two. You've got to feel sorry for James Bracey. So there's not too much to really talk about in the counter game. However, I do want to ask about Sussex and Pajara and Rizwan showing their skill and their class already for Sussex. Pajara got a double century. I think I saw he's already the second highest run scorer in the county championship, county championship despite missing the first game. Have you bowled at those two much in nets? Obviously, they're very, very, very different batsmen, but what have you seen of Pajara and Rizwan up close? Pajara is just unbelievably level-headed and calm, which sort of befits someone who's played 95 test matches and scored 53 first-class hundreds now. But yeah, he, he just makes everyone feel as though they're bowling 65 miles an hour because he plays the ball so late um, and he's in fantastic form and he's hungry for runs because at the moment he's out of the Indian test side and he just talks about his desperation to score so many runs to help us win games but also to get himself back in contention and then Rizwan he, he's a really interesting player and character he feels like he's about five foot three so he's really diminutive and tiny bloke what do you mean? Feels like he's five foot three. Well, he might not actually. Be Is he five, five foot, foot three? He's probably more five foot six or seven. But when you stand next <laughs> to him, you feel as though he's five foot three. But again, completely different style. Really busy. Always wants to keep the scoreboard moving. The strike turning over. He's the number one T Twenty player in the world. So I can't wait to see him on the flat wickets that we get here at Sussex in the T Twenty. It's going to be amazing to watch. But yeah, more just having that experience in the dressing room and, and having them at numbers four and six in the batting lineup really does just mean that, that their experience is dispersed amongst the team, which is helping us build big scores, which is, um, which is an important thing for us as a team. If we do want to win, we've, we've just got to try and take some wickets now. The thing on pitches, though, Finney, because I, I get your theory of Baron Chopra's and, and other people that... At the beginning of the season, you're playing on pitches that have been lovingly looked after. Nobody's been running all over them. They're as good as they're going to get. And looking at the stats in April, you know, runs have been pretty, they're pretty good time to score runs, but they're not massively so. Yet, what we've seen in the county championship this year is how many double hundreds now? Six, seven. Jamie Smith got one. Uh, There were three in that game at Derby. I mean, there's yeah. been a lot of double hundreds out there. It, do you sense in any way that there's a kind of edict going out that says we've got to make these pitches better in order to counter the sort of, you know, you're putting the county championship at either end of the season. We've got, to, we've got to actually make these pitches roads. Is there any sense of that or is it just a coincidence this year? No, no, no. There's definitely a sense of the fact the pitches are better. They're better prepared. The balls are going softer earlier. Um, this batch of balls that they have for 22 is going softer. I know the seam's a little bit less proud, so it negates the, the seam movement that you get, um, which is why the, the bowlers who have relied on seam movement, I suppose, over the last few years aren't quite taking the wickets that they have done before. And, and yeah, I think those number of things all added into the melting pot together have just ended up meaning more more high scoring games I think the weather's been relatively pretty good um, so groundsman's opportunity to prepare the wickets hasn't been hampered by rain you know it might have been cold and it might have been a bit windy but it means they can still get out onto the wicket when it's like that and work do you think it's so, going to be like the per- 
like the perfect storm. Like in 1990, I think they changed to a reader board, didn't they? And there was an extraordinary number of runs scored in 1990. Lancashire got 860 against Surrey, 770. And heaven knows what else. And batting records are broken left, right and centre. Do you think this is going to continue like through May, June and on? Well, you'd anticipate that the wickets will get will remain hard and true through that time. Um, the one thing that you would hope will counteract that with the amount of cricket that we play here is the fact that at the moment, the square here, especially at Sussex, is really lush. So when the batter hits the ball into the ground either side of the wicket or a throw comes in on the bounce, it just doesn't scuff the ball up, um, which means that it just, all it does is loses its writing off the ball and it just goes soft and you can't really get the ball to do anything because now you're not allowed to put anything on the ball. You can't use saliva. So if you're not sweaty and it's not hot, you literally can't shine the ball, which makes a big difference to it because you can't actually get the ball shined up to be able to move it laterally. And also, if the squares are are really pristine and lush green grass, the ball can't reverse swing and it can't be abrasive and it can't get made to be abrasive. So... Yeah, I think there's a number of different things and at the moment it just seems to be the perfect storm for batsmen and they're cashing in. Well, you say that, but we should mention here, one man I do want to talk about, despite all of the conditions you just mentioned, Kent's Nathan Gilchrist. So Kent's bowler Nathan Gilchrist has equaled an unwanted record. He was dismissed recently for a pair. That is his sixth consecutive duck in a row in the county championship. I should point out that he did get an absolute beast of a Yorker from Harris Ralph in one of those innings. But yes, six ducks in a row equals the record, despite the most favourable batting conditions of all time. And the person I feel really sorry for in all of this is Matthew Quinn of Kent, who still bats at 11 behind him. How shit is (laughs) Matthew Quinn? (laughs) Yeah, and look, there's some some great stats uh, with this because when Gilchrist came to six, he's gone past Ed Giddens' five. And Ed Giddens is one of the most notoriously bad batters that's ever existed in county championship cricket. And it's largely because it turns out that he was really badly short-sighted and didn't realise he needed glasses till after he retired, which is slightly unfortunate. Uh, But he also holds the record. uh, When when Gilchrist went to six, he went past Giddens' five. And one of of Giddens' pairs was the highest scoring match in which someone's got a pair. The average in that match was one... 118.7 118.7 per wicket. And Giddens batted in both innings because he batted as night watcher. <laughs> and he got a pair in both innings. <laughs> so while there were only about 14 wickets fell in the whole match for a ludicrous quantity of runs, like, you know, 1,600 runs, Giddens managed to get a pair. Gilchrist is in the very top bracket of shit batters at the moment. And we can only wish him luck in getting his seven seventh duck because if he gets seven in a row he will make history and look I don't know what he's like generally as a cricketer I wish him well and I think he might end up you know make, making the name for himself in other ways but when you're this close to history my friend tread on those fucking stumps miss the ball do whatever you've got to do seven ducks no one's done it do it baby we're all watching <laughs> I mean I, I mean that Gideon story puts in perspective if James Bracey listening to this it could be worse mate it could be a lot just lot about worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just about. It could be worse. Um, now, Norcross, before I let you both go, because we're going to play out some clips from our, our event at Ch- with Chance to Shine, the charity that we did last week. But I've noticed you are completely clean shaven. 
And I don't think I've ever oh, seen yeah. an entirely clean shave okay. with Daniel. It takes 30 years off. You look 96. I know. It's uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I look, I look a bit like St. Margaret, actually. I've sort of come come back down to looking 800 years old. It was a total accident. Did I did I not tell you what happened? No. Oh, no, did you do the I, thing oh, where you go done. to trim your beard and then suddenly you haven't yeah. taken the cap off? Yes. Oh. That's exactly what I did. And so I did I did a full line because what I've done is I changed the battery on it, right? And I changed the battery and therefore, for some bizarre reason, when I, when I changed the battery, I took the cappy thing off the top, forgot that I'd done that, put the battery in. And I was like running for time because it was the day before I was going to Italy. And I was heading to an IPL commentary and my wife was going to pick me up from the Oval and we were going to go to Stansted to stay the night there. So I was, there was an awful lot going on, awful lot going on. So I, I just, then when I realised that one streak had come off, I realised that it all had to come off. And the thing is, I've, I've only had this beard since COVID because I, I wore it as a protection against COVID. And it worked. Uh, for two years, I didn't get COVID because of the beard. And then I only got it after I'd had three jabs and science had intervened. And so the beard saved me. But because I was also going to the EU and um, for reasons best known to 52% of the population, we're no longer in it. I also thought simultaneously that it will be a nightmare getting into Europe. So I was happy to shave my beard off all in one go so I would look more like my passport. And it turned out that in actual fact, getting into Perugia Airport was the easiest thing in the world. Uh, there's nobody there. And I was in and out of it without anybody batting an eyelid. It was marvellous. And when we stop recording, I'll tell you another story after. Well, I look forward to it already. <laughs> right, I am going to let you both go, but very quickly... Uh, if you check out the Zero Ducks Given social media page, especially the Twitter account, and I'll put the video up on Instagram in a few moments' time as well, you can see a wonderful video of Daniel Norcross at a charity event last week. We played a game of street cricket alongside the wonderful charity Chance to Shine, which goes into schools and communities and gives kids the chance to play cricket. And there was a couple of other brilliant podcasts there as well. And Daniel Norcross was representing because Finney couldn't make it so Norcross was our star batsman and he got cleaned up first ball. And then later on in the day, I let him have another go as captain and he got cleaned up first ball. Two yeah, golden look, right. bucks in two innings. I posted the video it, on Twitter and it's, I'll be honest, it's got thousands of views already. It's the most popular it has, video yeah. we've ever put up. People love you seeing see, you make a fool of yourself. Yeah, but they, they, they didn't show like the bowler. Like The bowler, had, had, uh, he, he was a mystery spinner, quite frankly. And his undercutter was, I mean, I, I think I, I might have challenged it. I, I, look, don't get me wrong, it was a great delivery. It was a fantastic delivery, but I thought that, I mean, it was, like, it was Malinga-esque, and I'd not seen an action like So my trigger movements were all over the place. And then in mitigation for the second one, uh, that was just an absolutely brilliant boomeranging in-swinger. Um, and I don't, I mean, I think it would have cleaned up any of the best batsmen in the world, quite frankly. I don't feel embarrassed about that at all. It was an absolutely stonking delivery, and I, and I let him know as much. Okay, well, if you can go and see the video at the Zero Ducks Pod social media channels <laughs> and judge for yourself. Uh, I'm going to let you both go, but yeah, we're going to play out some audio now. So, Norcross and I teamed up with Chance to Shine at a wonderful event last week, and the charity Chance to Shine, if you don't know already, Go and check them out, but they do wonderful, wonderful work, giving kids a chance to play cricket that wouldn't necessarily got the, get the opportunity to do so. And uh, you can hear me and Norcross, frankly, embarrassing ourselves and getting comfortably beaten by a bunch of 14-year-olds last week. So enjoy. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and it's a slightly different start to the podcast this week as currently I am stood with reprobate Daniel Norcross at Tooting Leisure Centre. We're here for a wonderful event for the wonderful charity Chance to Shine which if you don't know it is a charity that tries to bring cricket to communities and schools around the UK and give people that wouldn't necessarily maybe get access to the facilities a chance to play a bit of cricket and we are part of what I've been told is a street cricket tournament. Dan and I just kind of said yes to this because, well, we're bloody good blokes. And if there's a chance to help out a charity, we jump at the chance. However, I'm immediately regretting this decision because Finney is currently away with Sussex. And now to the three of us on the podcast, I'll be honest, the one person that you want on your side is probably ex-England fast bowler, Stephen Finn, who's still currently playing professional cricket. Instead, we've got myself and Daniel Norcross. Now, I knew it was a sort of sporting event and an indoor cricket tournament, so I came in some relatively sporty trainers, some tracksuit bottoms and a T-shirt. Daniel Norcross, you also knew it was a street cricket tournament. What have you decided was the appropriate attire for this running around for the next two hours? I'm wearing what I would normally wear on the street, which is, is obvious, isn't it? So, I mean, I thought about it long and hard. I thought I'd never go outside in a pair of tracksuit bottoms. That's ridiculous. I come out in jeans and a plaid shirt because it's still quite chilly. Do you find there's that apricity still going on? It's that time of year. You know, you can't be quite sure. You're forever taking layers on and off. But, I mean, I have got a cricket-themed T-shirt, which is an Andy Warholized version of Douglas Jardine, whom you recognised after thinking he was Putin. <laughs> which was quite, quite something. I've got to say, I've watched some serious talent here. There's a girl who bowls off the wrong foot round the wicket, tends to land it. There's a boy who smashes it but keeps it on the ground the whole time. And actually, the girl who bowls off the wrong foot, hits really nicely through the leg side. I've never been able to hit nicely through the leg side. So I think we're doomed. You're bowling. I'm keeping, standing back a fair way. I might, I have got some tracksuit bottoms. Do you think I should put them on? Or is the sight of my spindly legs going to actually scare these people off and there'll be no tournament? <laughs> I think almost certainly, seeing as the two wonderful cricketers that Daniel has just described are currently playing, yeah, there's a girl who bowls off the wrong foot and a young guy batting. I'd say they're both about what? I reckon the young kid's about nine years old, and I'd say the girl's a similar age, maybe a little bit older. Maybe about 11. She bowls too quick for me, and he hits it too hard for me. (laughs) Well, I think almost certainly you should not take off your jeans and start getting into tracksuit bottoms when there's an average age of nine of the current people in the room. So, uh, do you know what? Stay in your jeans and Douglas Jardine t-shirt and checked shirt. And in a few moments' time, unfortunately, Daniel and I are going to have to enter this horrendously skillful, skillful wicket that we're looking at right now and face some of these young cricketers. Um, there, oh, and the, as we said that, as we said that, the young kid has tra- taken two steps down the wicket and hit the roof with a huge six. Uh, there's also a couple of other podcasts here, I believe, Daniel. Um, and again, this means war. We can't be seen to be losing to other podcasts. But again, Stephen Finn, as he so often does, has left us completely in the lurch. Yeah, it's second week now, isn't it? I mean, he's just, you know, coughing, bad backs. Oh, I've got to go and play a game of cricket in Worcester. Have you now? Have you? So, yeah, we're screwed. The Murrily Ender here. Uh, some people will know them. Very good podcast. And the Caribbean podcast is here. They, they're, they, they're, their star has been shining brightly of late, hasn't it? And uh, so I fully expect to be completely trounced by both of them. They're quite young as well. They've got vigour and shiny coats and 
eyes that look bright and aren't just gazing into the middle distance through cataracts and bloodshottedness. And you're not much better for me because you haven't been in a bed for the last week. <laughs> That's true. I've, I've just come back from a wedding in Copenhagen and the Liverpool versus Manchester United game. So uh, if you were hoping for me to, to represent the Zero Ducks given side, well, you won't get much from me. Um, just very quickly so I can paint a picture. We are stood in the corner of the sports hall at Tooting Leisure Centre whilst these two young cricketers we mentioned earlier are continuing to bowl and bat at one another. And yes, across the way is those two other podcasts we just mentioned. And there's much more of them they've all brought about five people along there's currently two of us they're all in proper sporting attire and i am next to a man in a douglas jardine t-shirt and jeans so wish us luck we're about to go and enter the cauldron that is tooting leisure center's indoor cricket pitch so what could possibly go wrong Yow. <laughs> okay welcome back to zero ducks given last time that we spoke to you Daniel Norcross and I were about to enter the cauldron that is Tooting Leisure Centre and play a couple of games of street cricket for the wonderful charity Chance to Shine. No matter how badly you're imagining it went in your head, trust me, it went worse. Right now, I'm joined by Ross from Chance to Shine to talk a little bit about the charity. So it's a charity that I think most cricket fans are sort of aware of without necessarily knowing the actual details of the work that you do. So, Ross, could you please explain to people listening the wonderful work that Chance to Shine does? Sure. So Chance to Shine, we always talk about the fact that we help young people to play, learn and develop through cricket. And what that means, in essence, is that uh, our two main programmes are in schools. We're in one in four state schools in England and Wales. We go in there and we give kids in primary schools largely their first opportunity to play the game and hopefully fall in love with the game and all the benefits that come with that, whether that be physical, mental, social or personal development. Um, and we also had our street cricket program, as you two found out today. I won't go much further than that. But uh, street cricket is fast, it's fun, it's frantic. It's designed to be a cricket club for people in urban areas, areas of social deprivation who other, otherwise wouldn't have access to the game of cricket. They wouldn't have access to a cricket club. It's on all year round. It's played with a tape ball, six aside, 20 over, 10 to 20 balls uh, per innings. And it's there to try and give the opportunity of cricket to kids who just otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't get the chance to play. Yeah, and I have to say, genuinely, first of all, how much watching those kids play, you could tell they absolutely loved it. And I entered cricket through the very, I guess, traditional, maybe outdated, stereotypical way of through the very public, nice school system. However, if that was my introduction to cricket, I'd have fallen in love with the sport just as much. I, th I thought it was a wonderful way of playing the game of cricket. By the way, I should explain any background noise. We have very nobly walked down the road from Tooting Leisure Centre and planted ourselves in a beer garden down the road as well. Uh, now, Daniel Norcross, you were, and you watch professional cricketers and international cricketers week in, week out, and you were rather impressed by the talent on show, weren't you? Yes, I was, actually. There's a, a young man called Ali um, that I got to speak to after the game, who was our gun bowler. Uh, I actually deployed him for two overs in the uh, third and final deciding match because he was so unbelievably good. And I was watching this, and as a person who runs, runs, not really runs, but is, is part of a, a cricket club in the Surrey Championship, and I've played for them for 35 years, and I'm watching this talent in that leisure centre, thinking, with all due respect, and hopefully none of my club members are listening, um, there were some far better cricketers <laughs> managing to do extraordinary things with that ball. I mean, Ali was bowling serious wheels. It was like 70 miles an hour, and a ball was in ducking unbelievably late. It was horrifying to watch. 
this talent you're unearthing, and we saw it on sort of the tip of the iceberg because we didn't see some of the very best players you've got, but we saw some of it. And I'm thinking, how do we get these guys into the system and playing in, in for, for clubs like mine and, and, and like Toby's? Yeah, and, and that's obviously a dilemma that cricket has found itself faced with more than ever over the last few months. And what we always say at Chance to Shine is, is that in essence, what we're about as a charity isn't producing the next Joe Root or Heaven Knight or whatever it might be. We're about giving kids the chance to play the game and to have all those benefits that I spoke about before from the game. But of course, everything that's happened in cricket over the last few months has put in perspective that there needs to be uh, a look at how these kids can progress, how the opportunities are there to go into the pathway in the professional game. And that's something that we've 100% started to look at a chance to shine. For instance, we're working with Surrey as, as we speak to pilot a programme whereby the most talented children from our street projects in London, so not just Surrey, and the likes of Middlesex, um, can actually go and, and, and play Red Bull cricket for the first time. They have equipment purchased for them and they can, they can actually experience what it's like to play the game at the next level, potentially you know be scouted as well um so it, it is that balance in, in the essence that as a charity it wasn't what we set out to be but as as the, the current climate being what it is we feel like it's really important that we work with the rest of the cricket community to find solutions to the, the problems that face the game and ultimately though what we want to do is get kids playing sport and you know this isn't about necessarily finding the next Hassan Ali or the next Joffre Archer or whatever it may be although you might unearth some of those players but just bringing them into a place where they've got a sort of muscle memory of playing sport doing it as, a, as part of what they do week in week out that's important as well isn't it 100 percent. yeah and there's we all know anyone who's played sport at any level any type of sport and knows what benefits it brings when i'm when i kind of think of examples of chance to shine you know we can talk about the likes of Tara Norris and, and Lauren Bell in the women's game who have gone on to um, being called up for the England squad having learnt cricket free chance to shine but actually you know, there's a girl called Zoya up in up in Yorkshire who plays at one of our Sheffield projects who has gone on to study medicine at university and she always talks to us about the fact that those um, the confidence she learnt and the leadership abilities she learnt by playing street cricket and becoming a street cricket coach in her later years as she's taken that on board and, and allowed her to study medicine at uni and you know it's, there's so much else there's so much richness that sport can bring these young children's lives and that's we've got to concentrate on that as, as all the, the fantastic end of the professional game that we see as well yeah now Toby we need we need to talk about our own performance because I, I know the raw facts don't necessarily suggest that we had a stellar outcome today but I felt personally that the two of us led this ragtag fugitive fleet to a really quite extraordinary victory I mean we played three games we won the first. We reversed the batting order. That's when you and I opened. And we lost both our wickets really very early. Mine was first ball. Yours was to the first legitimate ball that you faced. <laughs> um, and then in the third game, um, I, I thought, as joint captains, we produced some, some great tactical acumen to, to get us over the line. I mean, yes, Ali and the other kids were quite instrumental in the fact that they hit the runs and took the wickets. But I think without our leadership, possibly, um, you know, they, they, they might not have got there. I don't necessarily buy into any of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> apart from 
apart from that, yes, you are correct that uh, we we decided in the second game to push aside these kids who are meant to be experiencing cricket for the first time uh, and two guys who probably played far too much cricket decided we'll open the batting, lads, and show you how it's done. And genuinely, Norcross got cleaned up first delivery, uh, going back to a spinner that didn't... A mystery spinner, admittedly, uh, going back and trying to pull it through mid-wicket, even though it never got above about toe height. Um, and then, to be fair, I had to face some bloke bowling about what felt like 200 miles an hour, toe-crushing Yorkshire that cleaned up all three of my plastic stumps. So that was our contribution. And uh, weirdly, the one game where Daniel and I opened was the one game that we lost out of the three games. Um, what's harder to stomach is that after the dust had settled and the brilliant street cricket kids went on their merry way. We decided to play a quick super over against some of the other podcasts that were in attendance. And Dan and I batted and set them the, <laughs> the, the slightly mediocre target of six runs needed from their super over. And they, they won with free balls to spare. So, I mean, it's very hard to justify our own contribution in cricketing terms. And this, and Finney's going to be unbearable when he hears about this. And there will be some videos on social media because Ross, who I was getting along with quite well, annoyingly seemed to have filmed just about everything that could have gone wrong. And, and those videos will be available on social media on the Zero Dots Given Instagram and Twitter pages later today. Uh, but genuinely, Ross, thank you so much for having us. It was a really good fun day. Um, and thank you mainly for putting up with Norcross for the evening in a pub. And don't forget, guys, the garden closes at 10. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.